sacrifice. Oh, I did it for the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Nightmare Match Green. And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach the Bumbler Barlow. You know... People call you that in real life. Like, I mean, I know you're making it up based on the show, but, like, I mean... Yeah, no, I have been... a bit of a bumbler. On many occasions called The Bumbler. Um, The Bumbler. That actually sounds like a pretty good wrestling name. Yeah. It also sounds like someone whose gimmick is their R.A.B. Yeah, I was also thinking that, you know, um, sort of uh, fly like a dumbass, sting like like a bee. That's what like I do. A dumbass. That's why I'm the bumbler. Well, we're gonna see some real dumbassery today. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're gonna take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least whatever I feel like flapping my big old stupid mouth about for however long I decide this episode is gonna be. And if you know so little about wrestling that when we say the words Hulk Hogan, you picture a giant green man, then don't worry, you're in good company. I also picture a giant green man, and I don't know that much about wrestling myself. Uh, But Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about some of the just just most horrible matches uh, in wrestling history. Now, obviously, this is nowhere near a complete list, and there are probably matches much worse than all of these. But here are some of the uh, worst matches that I know about. We're going to be talking about them. This, this episode's a little bit different because we there's really no continuity, chronological order to these matches. They really have nothing to do with each other other than they are all bad. And I just kind of wanted to shit-talk some bad wrestling because there's... We talk a lot about good wrestling here, but we don't get a chance to talk about the bad stuff that often. Absolutely, and and, and I do think, though, I, I do have to say from what I watched, there are some somewhat common threads between some of these very bad matches. In that Hulk Hogan is in two of them. Yes, and, and okay, things that I've learned make a bad wrestling match after watching this. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Devil Cages. Yeah, that was kind of a theme here, huh? Uh, yeah, man. Really really just like when you try too hard to think of a gimmick match, you know? When a match rides on the gimmick, if it would not be a good match but for the gimmick, it's going to be bad. Here's the thing. Cage matches are already good enough. Right. We do not really need to take them... Well, okay, the exception to that is the Elimination Chamber. That took the cage match a step further. But when you start trying to, like, work the the gimmick into, like, the the wrestler's, like, stories, that's when it gets worse. But we'll get into all that soon enough. Also want to say that this episode marks our one year of podcasting here at Turnbuckle Training. Woo! Happy birthday to us. 
Happy In that time, we've done a lot. To um, we have we have shed the WWE network. We have sufficiently dunked on the WWE and Vince McMahon to the point where I'm never getting a job with them. <laughs> not that I really wanted to. There was a period in time where I did want to like not be a wrestler, but maybe like be involved in the wrestling business somehow. Um, but then I learned about how like shitty like they are treated and like. Even non-wrestlers, like how they're all independent contractors and can be fired at pretty much any time for any reason, which I guess is kind of true for anyone, but... Here's the thing, Peyton. (sighs) Turnbuckle's birthday is May 2nd, you stupid son of a bitch. (laughs) I was not expecting that. That was a great throwback, man. But, um... Yeah, man, uh... Here's the, th- but you might one day be able to get on with some kind of independent promotion or someone who's not the WWE that maybe treats their employees a little better, and that could be fun. Oh, I don't know, like because as we've learned about independent promotions, they get paid like a hundred bucks a show or something. Yeah, a very uh, rotund man in San Francisco takes your money in exchange for you maybe being able to wrestle at some point. I don't know if you've played the My Career mode on uh, on the WWE 2K games. I started playing it recently, and you start out as a guy in an independent wrestling promotion, and that is exactly how it is. They like <laughs> they really make like you start out wrestling in a high school, and they make like the commentator like makes a bunch of jokes about how he's he's like. These wrestlers could go all night, but not actually all night because the high school principal says we have to be done at 11. <laughs> and it's very funny and on the nose. Oh, that's very, um, very good. Well, why don't we uh, we go ahead and get into our matches? Uh, I really just can't wait to talk about how bad this shit is. Yeah, man, I am excited. These are, You picked some really terrible stuff. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. Well, the first match we're going to talk about is Hollywood Hogan versus The Warrior at WCW's Halloween Havoc 1998. And a lot of these matches kind of need to have a little background to explain, this being one of them. So, we we you know about Hulk Hogan, of course. He's probably the mo- one of the most recognizable names in wrestling ever. Um, but The Warrior, he's called The Warrior here, not The Ultimate Warrior, uh, as he was called in WWF. Uh, have you heard anything about the Ultimate Warrior? Do you know anything about the Ultimate Warrior? I don't. And honestly, outside of knowing like who he is and that he has a huge following, I don't really know. And, and so, the time he said that inward during his sex tape, I don't really know that much about Hulk Hogan. The Ultimate Warrior um, came about during was one of WWE's hottest stars in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, They brought him in almost as a foil to Hulk Hogan. And the thing about Hogan is Hogan is one of the most overbooked wrestlers ever. And I say that to mean, you know, he always wins. When he loses, it's very rarely clean. Uh, He always kind of loses in some sort of screwy finish. Um... He has a lot of backstage pull. Ultimate Warrior was kind of that way, minus the backstage pull. Maybe even more so than Hogan. Uh, fun fact here, the Ultimate Warrior has the highest 
they're the best win loss record of any wrestler in WWE history. Uh, he's won more matches. Wow. Versus lost them. I mean, he hasn't necessarily won more matches, but compared to the matches he's lost, I'd have to yeah. look it up. But it's the original. It's something like he has John like an eighty-four percent win rate. He's Good won eighty-four percent of his matches, or, or something crazy like that. That is crazy. Um, and they were two huge hot stars, so they put them together at WrestleMania. Let's see what WrestleMania was that. Is at WrestleMania six. So at WrestleMania six, uh, that's going to be in nineteen ninety. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior wrestled each other in the main event of WrestleMania six, and it's title versus title. Ultimate Warrior is the Intercontinental Champion. Hogan is the WWE Champion, and uh, it's considered to be like one of the biggest WrestleMania moments of all time because it's like. I mean, it's like John Cena going against The Rock or Hogan against The Rock, Austin versus Rock. It's uh, it's that type of match for that right. time period. Um, and Ultimate Warrior wins and wins clean, uh, beats Hogan, win and becomes the WWF and Intercontinental Champion. Um, the problem with Ultimate Warrior is he was um, had a uh, kind of a he was not easy to work with backstage so uh he ends up getting fired um when he holds out the wwe for money uh he wanted more money for a show so he ends up getting fired he comes back for a little while and then pretty much the same thing happens again um so for whatever reason you know wcw we've talked about a lot they will do anything to try to make them look make themselves look better than wwe yeah so they decided so when they found out they could bring Hulk Hogan over, they did. He becomes a heel and becomes Hollywood Hogan. Which, by the way, I kind of like Hogan as a heel more than I like any other version of Hulk Hogan. I would tend to agree with that. Again, I know very little about his work prior to sort of this time period. Um, well, I like say that Holly- because... Uh, continue, sorry. Hollywood Hogan is the Hogan that I know the most. Here's the thing, is when... Hogan operates as a face, he still acts like a heel and does shit like like when he in the uh the ninety two Royal Rumble when uh he got eliminated by Sid a face and Hogan was also a face, Hogan was so upset that he helped Ric Flair, a heel, eliminate Sid. Which was a very heel thing for a face to do to another face to help a heel win. So he's always been sort of a, a coin I'm going to term here, anti-face. Yes. Like an anti-hero, but with But wrestling. not even in a way that's deliberate. It's just in a way that, like, Hogan does shit that makes him look like an asshole. <laughs> or like when uh, Bret Hart lost at WrestleMania 9 to Yokozuna, and Hulk Hogan came out to help his friend... By beating Yokozuna and taking the title for himself. Oh, man. Yeah, what a good guy. What a good guy, yeah. Um, But anyway, so WCW decides to capitalize on the nostalgia and eight years later decides to bring in the Warrior to wrestle Hogan. But sometimes, you know... 
lightning only strikes once. Sometimes, and as we'll learn, dream matches should stay dreams. And here's the thing. Anytime WCW tries to redo something WWE did, it's not going to be as good. Honestly, anytime, like if you try to recreate something in your con- like why do that? Because, again, it's kind of like the TNA ECW show. All you're doing is saying, hey, remember how great WWE was? Yeah, yeah. No, you're just reminding you think, your audience about your competition. You would think that for as many times as other promotions have tried and failed to do that, that they would have learned by now. Yeah. So, um, this match... Um, so, I've talked about Dave Meltzer a little bit. Dave Meltzer rates wrestling matches on a uh, one-to-five star scale. Um Five stars being a very rare honor he gives out. An even rarer honor he gives out is a negative five stars, which is what <laughs> this match got. Oh, my God. Um, uh, Ultimate Warrior also said that uh, his greatest match of all time was against Hulk Hogan, and his worst match of all time was against Hulk Hogan. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and get into this match, Halloween Havoc 1998. The announcers are really selling it, saying it's one we've been waiting for almost a decade for. I love watching it when like announcers are really selling something, and I have the advanced knowledge to know that it's going to be bad. I know, and that happens a lot through uh, these matches that you've you've picked. Um, and also, I love announcers trying to cope with a bad thing and trying mm-hmm. to be like, trying to spin it and be like, no, this is great. Um, we see a replay of last week's Nitro where Hogan hits his nephew Horace with a chair. Imagine being Hulk Hogan's nephew and also trying to make it as a wrestler. Actually, yeah. you know what? Imagine being Hulk Hogan's nephew and also just being alive and yeah. like knowing that Hulk Hogan is your uncle. Oh man. Oh man, could you imagine could you imagine uncle your uncle's sex tape being out there and he says the n-word in it? Honestly, I live in Mississippi. I it's, it's bound to happen to me eventually. <laughs> Um. So, uh, so we see that, and obviously, anytime they show a replay like that, that's out of context, you're like, "What does this have to do with anything?" You know, it's going to come back up. Right, right. Because, you know, here's the thing: this is supposed to be a big, huge match, and yet, we're, of course, we're not gonna like. There's no way that this match is not going to have anything screwy in it because it's WCW in the '90s with the NWO. Right. Um. um and boy. Does it get screwy? Uh, they're calling this uh, the match of the decade. And we finally get them in the ring. And, of course, we got to build it all up with, like, the flexing and the shaking and the all the bullshit. Yeah, posturing for six straight minutes. Like, nothing happening for six whole minutes. Yeah, Hulk Hogan always talks about how big his arms are, but the only thing bigger than Hogan's arms is his fucking ego. Yeah, no kidding, man. That that is a very accurate statement. Finally, we start getting some wrestling. Uh, Really, well, I call it wrestling in a very loose term because it's mostly just a bunch of 
punching and then lockups. The highlight of this match is them doing their like lockup pose they did at WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, um, but when they do it here, it's just not good. It's very bad. At some point, they start just bouncing off the ropes for no reason. Yeah, like, and like they're both crisscrossing. The the pace here is so dead. Like because even you know they 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 exchange the little punches for a bit, and then Hogan just goes outside the ring and hangs out for a while. And, like, mm-hmm. the action is so broken up by just boring that it's uh, it's honestly distracting. And you you just want to yell at them, like, hey, hey, can you guys actually, like, wrestle, please? Think about how boring Hogan is here in 1998 and the fact that we're going to see him in another match eight years later. Yeah. Like, Hogan... Like, eight years from now, Hogan is is put back into the main event of a wrestling show. And that is just shocking to me, that he can be, like, that old and bad and still book things, you know, eight years later. And still win a couple more world titles. And I just... I, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I don't understand the hype around Hulk Hogan. I don't I understand why people love him. I personally find him meh at best. I think because when he became popular, it was a it was a simpler time in wrestling, and the kind of style he worked worked then. Um, and then everything after that is just is just nostalgia based. So it's hard for you and me to kind of understand it, but like. If you're someone who grew up on Hulk Hogan, and then you and then he comes back, there's going to be a big pop. But so so he maybe had like ten years of an actually good run, and then has based his remaining thirty on that. Yeah, Hogan's been past his time prime for a, a long time. Like contrast that to Ric Flair, who put on some decent matches, much older than Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Flair still is at it, isn't he? Or did he just retire? No, no, he doesn't wrestle anymore. God, okay. I would hope not. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, but he he continued for till like two thousand eight. So, um, so it, it, back in the ring, Hulk Hogan accidentally takes out the referee and then knee, just knees him on purpose. Uh, the Big Show, uh, known here as the Giant, comes down to the ring because. Here's the thing. I think certain matches do not need run-ins and interference, and this was one of them. If you're going to sell this as this big, huge dream match, then you don't need the whole damn NWO running down and interference. Absolutely. And I'm proud of myself because when he came down there, I was like, hey, that's Big Show. And it was. It was Big Show. Look at me learning things. A whole year later, and I can spot Big Show even when he's not being called by his name. Yeah, they used to call him the Giant because his gimmick was that he was Andre the Giant's son, even though they don't actually look alike. They're just both big. Hey, man, sometimes sometimes that's the only gene that gets passed. Sometimes big is all you need. Ain't you ever done your um, uh, Punnett squares? <laughs> God damn, I haven't thought about a Punnett square in a long time. That's why I'm here to dredge up that knowledge. 
So Warrior clotheslines Giant over the top rope. Then Stevie Ray and Vincent come down. He takes that, takes care of them. Uh, Warrior covers Hogan, but the ref is down. And okay, um, what kills me is that this was not some kind of special rules, no holds barred match. Like when Hogan just straight up attacks the ref, shouldn't he be disqualified? Like if attacking the ref outright does not get you DQ'd, what will? Well, hey, here's the thing. Who's going to disqualify him? The ref is knocked down. <laughs> um, that's the, the funny thing is that, like, wrestling is the one sport where they don't, like, review the tape. Yeah, yeah. It's just all on one man's call, whether or not he is conscious or alive. Can or... you imagine if, like, that happened in, like, in, like football or, like— <laughs> Like, like one of the coaches distracted the referee while another guy, like, does a face mask. Yeah, yeah. Um, you knock out the referee, it's fair game. You just, then, like, it is, you were just trying to get the ball anywhere. But if you get a touchdown, well, the ref's knocked out, he can't count it. <laughs> he just stole second base. Well, the ref was distracted. <laughs> Um, but here's the other thing. Once the ref is up, Hogan start, takes off his belt and start, starts whipping Warrior with it and doesn't get disqualified for that either. Yeah. So he starts choking him, and the announcers try to explain, like, oh, well, this match is just so big of a deal, he doesn't want to disqualify him. So if that's the case, if the ref does not want to call a DQ, then just make it, just make it a... a, a no holds bar, no DQ match. Right. And again, though, to analogize to other forms of sports, it's like if at the Super Bowl they were like, okay, no flags this game, because uh, it's just, it's too big. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, like okay, I'll allow it, because it is the Super Bowl. I will allow <laughs> cheating. You would think that the bigger the match, the more the the, the more likely it would be to to. To watch the rules. Yeah, but, the more you know, stringent whatever. the rules would would then become. Uh, Warrior starts whipping Hogan with the belt. Um, the ref is telling him to stop, and while he's distractive, uh, here comes the greatest moment of the match, where Hogan tries to pull out a fireball and throw it into into Warrior's face, but he ends up just lighting himself on fire. <laughs> Apparently, he actually did, like, burn off part of his eyebrow doing that. <laughs> I wrote, the announcers are doing amazing, sweetie. Because they're they're like, oh my gosh, could you imagine how bad that would have been? Yeah, yeah, they're, it's a big what if on, um, on that spot. Uh, they're trying so hard. That's like... You know, I, but I do like the idea of calling the hypothetical match the match that could have been. And okay, first of all, even if they had done a fireball in this match, why? Yeah, great question. First of all, I don't think any match needs a fucking fireball in it. But like, why? Why this match? Why this big match? Like, I understand it if maybe your character's gimmick is he's a fucking firebender or some shit. <laughs> But why is Hulk Hogan trying to light a man on fire? That is a great question. And, and like, I wonder what was supposed to happen after he hit the fireball. 
Because the match just goes on. Yeah. Was it supposed to end there? I don't know. And, and like, God, that's just, what a, what a botch, man, to have that. But you're right, like, this is supposed to be, like, a legacy match. This is supposed to be a, what normally are, like, very clean, very um, long-form kind of matches. Not, like, unless, you know, Mick Foley's there or something. But, like, Hulk Hogan is not a man that's, like, known for his fireballs. He's not Mario, yeah, it was it was just so weird and like it, it's like honestly, I'm glad that the fireball blew up in his face like this whole match did. <laughs> uh, Hogan finally gets a leg drop but doesn't pin. Um, which isn't it kind of funny that Hogan's finisher is just a leg drop? Yeah, that's hilarious, man. Like. Wrestling used to be so boring. Yeah, well, I guess it was at a time where, like, we didn't have crazy moves, but, like, yeah, his his finisher was just a leg drop. <laughs> um, But he gets the leg drop and doesn't even pin, and he's about to go for it again, but he gets distracted by Horace Hogan. Um, Warrior starts going crazy. He takes down... Hogan with a bunch of clotheslines, and then Eric Bischoff comes down, gets on the apron, distracts the ref while Horace hits Warrior with a chair, and Hogan pins him for the win. What a piece of shit ending to this huge, like, you know, oh, it's been eight years, it's the greatest match of the decade. We're gonna end with a with a double cross chair shot finish by a guy who you forgot existed. Yeah, <laughs> who they said had eleven stitches, but I didn't see a damn thing. Yeah, man, that was just ugh, boring, bad, botched every way you can mess up a match. This match was messed up. It was just like, and here's the thing: I, a lot of these matches. I, I've never, I had never seen any of these matches before we did this. I've heard of them all, but I've never had the the bravery to watch them. And this was one of man. This was this was like worse than I thought it would be. Yeah, man, it's bad. It's bad. It was like a new level of bad. <laughs> it was bad in a way I didn't think could. You know, could though, happen. I'm gonna say I don't know if it is the worst one that we watched today. I, you know that that is that is going to be a tough competition, um, especially when we go to our next match. Uh, this one is very infamous for the match type itself. God, we got Al Snow versus Big Boss Man at Unforgiven 1999. This is for the Hardcore Championship. And whatever happened to it? Just a plain old hardcore match, or at least a plain old steel cage match. I know, man. It's like you don't need it. You don't need Zach, it. How about you explain the rules to this? This is the Kennel from Hell match, the first and only one of its kind. How about you try to explain the rules for our, our listeners? Okay, so you know how a steel cage works. It's a cage that's put around the ring, and the first person to escape the cage wins. We've covered a couple of them before. Uh, and you know how Hell in a Cell works. You're wrestling, and there's a giant cell around you. And the cell typically doesn't have anything to do with the rules. 
It's just there, and it's cool. Mick Foley sometimes falls through them or jumps off of them. Um, this match combines those things for the worst of both worlds. You see, you must escape both the cell uh, and the cage. or So you have to climb over the cage and then somehow get out of the cell. But there are vicious Rottweilers that are in the in-between between the cage and the cell that I guess are a, some sort of stage hazard. Uh, and, and yeah, I guess that pretty much sets that, uh, uh, are you, you think I did a good enough job explaining Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Now, and, also, and, and the, uh, I'm sorry, go, I, just wanted, go ahead. I just wanted to mention that these Rottweilers are not, like, they're not just running free in there. They have handlers, so they're all on leashes. Yeah, but they are very dangerous. As we'll find out. Oh, so I can't so believe. Dangerous. I understand why they only did this match one time because of how dangerous those dogs were. Yeah, that's the thing is that the dogs really became, I think, a liability. You know, these guys sign waivers, but I just wouldn't legally want anyone to be around these very vicious dogs. Um, here's the backstory to the match. Um, it's pretty quick. Basically, Al Snow had a dog named Pepper. And Big Boss Man killed the dog, and and fed him, fed Al Snow his own dog. And here's the thing, you know, there are a lot of things that you can like say that wrestlers did, but once I feel like once you like broach the the realm of actual crimes, yeah, I think it gets a little unrealistic. And when because you get to dog murder, especially. Like, that's just, you know, I don't know. There, and you'd there think, are... Big Boss Man being a policeman, he would know the law. But, oh, that's the thing. He's a policeman, so technically can't be arrested. That's that's true. I, that was and a also, joke, but then I realized how sadly kind of true that statement is. Also, here's the thing. Wrestling takes place on international waters. <laughs> yes, it is on an oil rig in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. But, I mean, really? He killed his dog and he fed it to it? Like, I mean, like, how, here's the thing. How are you ever going to turn boss man face after that? Like, you know, you can't, you can't come back from that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not good. It might be on the list of worst things a heel has ever done. Yeah, okay, on that list, um, you know, Eddie Guerrero being, or uh, Rey Mysterio being told Eddie Guerrero's in hell, and uh, this. And Eddie Guerrero also trying to uh, take his friend's son. Yeah, that one, you're, that, also true. Um, oh, and uh, I do have to say um, that the... Undertaker kidnapping um, Vince's daughter and sort of stalking her. That one's pretty bad, too. Yeah. Oh, and Kane forcing Lita to marry him. That is true. Yeah, Kane did rape a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Let let us not forget. And somehow he's become a face and the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. (laughs) So... Maybe these terrible heel moves aren't quite as rare as I thought they might be. Apparently not. Um, 
So, the announcers are doing their damn best to sell this. God, they're trying so hard. They also started this match a weird way, where they started outside of the cage, and Al Snow actually locks Boss Man outside of the cage, which to me feels like he's helping him. Yeah, I know, I was thinking the same thing, like, why don't you just immediately leave the the cage and then you win? Or yeah, the, the dogs weren't even in there. So, I feel like the bell should not have rung until the dogs were there. I agree. And, and until I they think, were both in the cage. Like, how are you going to ring the bell when one of them's already halfway to winning? I think the dogs might have been late. Because, like, the announce team also seems confused as to, like, hey, where where are the dogs? Who was supposed to let the dogs out? <laughs> Um, they do bring the dogs in, they're on leashes, and here's the thing, is, it's hard to work with animals at a live show. Yes, it is, and these dogs are good boys, and... Yeah, they're not vicious at all, they just, like, start peeing and pooping. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) And, like, barking at each other. And paying no attention to the wrestlers, which is something I wish I could do. This reminds me of one of my favorite goofs from a kid's show, from Invader Zim, where he's, like, breaking into the mall to return a movie after hours, and there's, like, this crazy security guard at the mall who has all these, like, insane security measures that he's unleashing, and one of them is a horde of zombies But the zombies just, like, meander. They don't actually attack anything. That is these dogs. That is exactly what this is. Uh, Boss Man gets some pliers and tries to cut a hole in the roof of the cell. I guess so he can avoid the dogs. Um, Man, this is one of those matches that it was like... I feel like it must have, they must have started and they must have been like, oh shit, oh shit, bail, 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 bail. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, Like, and I just want to, like, you know, when this was conceptualized in the head of, uh, I don't know, Al Snow's actually the one that had the idea for it, but whoever dreamt this piece of shit up, were they imagining just like vicious dogs gnawing at the gates to get in? The sound of barking, teeth, and, and you know, all of that, and just this really intense scene when in reality we get, like, three little doggos walking around. They do a little barking at each other, but mostly, like, they're just standing there. Yeah, just, like, best case scenario, members. best case scenario, one of these wrestlers was going to get attacked by a dog. Yeah, yeah. And we got the exact opposite of that, which was worse, so... <laughs> I, man, I don't, I don't know. It would be one thing. It would be one thing if the dogs weren't that vicious, but they still put on a good match on the the inner ring. But they're basically just standing around waiting for the dogs to do all the work. Yeah, come on, guys. Like, you gotta do some of the heavy lifting. They really were trying to let dog acting carry this match, and it doesn't. We did get a uh, big boss man pulling a uh, pulling a little surprise out of his pocket, but it getting knocked back into his face. Pocket sand. No! <laughs> 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 
the pocket uh, sand was was the highlight of this, definitely. Oh, for sure. Well, I don't know. I think the highlight of this was the dogs peeing and pooping and not paying attention to the man. <laughs> Much like everyone watching it. Yeah, the crowd is so flaccid for all of this. Like, it's... That's the thing. When you're watching wrestling and it's quiet, you know the match is bad. This match is so bad, it's even a joke in WWE. They joke about it. Oh, my God. Mick Foley called this match truly hideous. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, everybody's out here. You know, Peyton, you talk about this quote a lot from the uh, Fighting With My Family movie with the, you know, don't try to be the next rock be the first you um don't try to be the next mick foley it it's not gonna work for you you're not as smart or creative and you don't understand what makes a good show if you thought that devil cage dogs was really gonna be one of those highlight moments in wrestling history we're gonna see mick foley falling off the top of the cell through a table cut next to dog cell See, double cage matches never work because they take the 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 wor- the most boring part of a cage match and double it. Yes, the climbing absolutely. part. And when you get the double layer, like once someone escapes the first layer, they have functionally won. Anyways. Yes. Um um or they should anyway. It is eventually Al Snow who wins uh, after he hits Big Boss Man with head, and then he 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 climbs out. I love how he like runs away from the dogs. Like he's like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! I'm gonna die!" Yeah, and the dogs uh, are like like the handlers are trailing far behind him. Uh, yes, and th- that's another thing too. Is like, okay, don't cut a hole in the ceiling of the cell unless you're actually gonna use it. And they don't. That would have been at least kind of cool-ish. That was the one interesting part of this match. Yes, and you dropped it. The prospect of him escaping the cage through the top of it. Right. Um, yeah, th- th- this is the first and only Kennel from Hell match. I don't imagine that we'll ever get another one, but hey, you never, you never know. Yeah, that was it. Was just so bad. It was a, just a, a bad gimmick, a bad match, and a bad storyline. Really, just the hat trick there, huh? Yeah, unless you are willing to just straight up Kim Jong ill somebody, you should not have dogs in the match. Yeah, uh, it, it's like how people say all the time: never work with children or animals. That's very true for wrestling. Absolutely. Um, Let's go to our next match. Um, We're going to the year 2000, the worst year in WCW history, where the title changed hands like 20 times, including this, probably the most infamous title holder in WCW history. We're going to Thunder... April 26, 2000. Thunder was WCW's B-show um, instead of Monday Nitro. So why they put this match on their B-show, I have no clue. Uh, 
but it is going to be a tag team match for the world title. So whoever gets the pin here becomes the world champion. Um, it's DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, and his partner David Arquette versus Jeff Jarrett, and I put Diamond Dallas Page, but I did not mean that. I meant Eric Bischoff. Um, yeah, and what a dumb kind of match type, because then why would you ever tag your partner in? Because then you have no chance. Yeah, it appears that there are not tag rules here, because I don't think I ever saw a tag here. I think it's it's Texas Tornado style, where they're all legal at the same time. Ah, uh, yeah, well, okay, there is one part where Arquette does tag in. Uh, oh, okay. I did notice that, but yeah, it's just weird. Uh, also, the, uh, the, the referee here is DDP's wife, Kimberly Page, who is turned against him and is sided with Jarrett and Bischoff. Um, so we have two legendary wrestlers, two WWE Hall of Famers, DDP and Jeff Jarrett, a non-wrestler, and someone who's not even involved in wrestling at all. Why is David Arquette here, you might ask, to promote the movie Ready to Rumble, a movie about wrestling starring David Arquette that is somehow parts of the movie... Wrestling is real, and parts of the movie wrestling is not real. It was a very strange movie, but it takes place in WCW. There are a lot of WCW wrestlers in it, so they brought him here to do some stuff, which is fine. But this... Now, and I'm not exactly an Arquette head, um, so I'm not incredibly familiar with his work. So I just looked him up on Wikipedia, and it's very uh, upsetting to me that he is listed as being a professional wrestler. (laughs) Well, he actually has done some recent wrestling. He's a big fan of wrestling. Well, David Arquette, uh, probably his most famous role was in Scream. Um, it's where he, he met his ex-wife, Courtney Cox, and they were married for a long time. He was also in the shitty Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie that came before the TV series. I did not know that. Um, but uh, h- here we go. This one, uh, it's really just a big old brawl. Uh, Arquette and Bischoff go to the outside, and they end up wrestling to the back. At one point, DDP pins Jeff Jarrett, but Kimberly Page, the special referee, gives a slow count and breaks a nail while she's doing it. Because, you know, she's a woman, and if they break a nail, then they can't count. Uh, later, she just straight up refuses to count. Bischoff eventually comes back to the ring, wiping his hands. Apparently, he beat up David Arquette, I guess. Um, so Bischoff and Jared are double-teaming DDP. Um, Arquette comes back down to the ring all beaten up, and DDP kisses his wife very violently. Okay, um, okay, so, th- so that was the one that was his wife. Yes. Uh, okay, because I was confused... I thought maybe it was the other dude doing that, and it was just straight-up sexual assault. Glad that didn't happen. Well, apparently she's not, like, friends with him. The Like, like not, uh, I mean, like, she and, like, she is on, not on his side, though. Oh, okay, so it is sexual assault. Cool, 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 yeah. cool, cool. Um, so he kisses her so hard she falls down, and Arquette spears Bischoff and pins him while Jarrett pins DDP, or hits DDP with the title belt and pins him. Another referee comes in and counts the fall for Arquette. 
giving him the title, and did you notice that immediately the crowd starts throwing trash into the ring? <laughs> I didn't notice um, that, but, like, yeah, good move. Yeah, this the link I put cut it off, so I put in another one that shows the, the post-match stuff. Uh, but, yeah, no, the crowd just litters the ring with trash and starts booing. Um, apparently, Vince Russo, the, the head of creative in WCW at the time, he says he doesn't regret doing this. He says he did it because he wanted to make a headline, and he was right. The next day, it was the, the front-page story on the USA Today. But here's the thing. Sometimes, and most of the time, when you're on the front page of the paper, that means something bad happened. Yeah. Yeah, like, hero dog saves baby usually is saved for uh, pretty pretty deep in there. You get the front page slot, you're not usually in your favor. It's usually a huge tragedy, which is exactly what this was. Um... <gasps> David Arquette has said he did not want to do this. He did he he liked he was too much of a wrestling fan that he did not want to win the world title. Oh. But here we go. David Arquette won the same world title that Ric Flair and Sting and Hulk Hogan and all these other great wrestlers did. Oh, just yikes, man. You've you've talked before. You've mentioned this in passing, like anytime we talk about bad things that have happened, you're like, oh yeah, like the time that David Arquette got the world title, but I didn't expect it to be this bad. Yeah. Um, DDTV celebrates with him, and he's he's acting so well, because surely he cannot be happy. Um, and David Arquette is going to have uh, two matches after this. He uh, beats Tank Abbott, so you know, losing to a celebrity. And then uh, there's going to be a triple cage match um, between David Arquette, Jeff Jarrett, and, and DDP where Arquette turns on DDP by hitting him with a guitar and letting Jeff Jarrett win. So he turns heel, but I feel like he kind of already was a heel for winning the world title in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just not good. And all this was to promote a movie that sucked even worse than this match. And the whole, like, thing with this match is that, you know, they go off screen and he just comes back and wins. It's almost like the other guys are just there to give you something to look at while they do David Arquette's makeup. Yeah, probably. Um, But yeah, pr pretty much one of the worst decisions in wrestling history, maybe. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, yeah. Uh, and this was when they were in competition with WWE, so I am sure that this did not help. Yeah. It's one thing to have a celebrity win. Having them win a title. Having them win the world title is something, man. And this is like, what, a year, maybe two out from when the WWE acquires WCW? It's in 2001 when they acquired WCW. Yeah. So, so... Liter literally, it was in April. So literally one year. <laughs> so you can draw, I believe, a pretty direct line from David Arquette winning the world title in WCW to WCW going out of business. I mean, it certainly didn't help them. 
All right, let's jump forward uh, to SummerSlam 2005, a match that I know you are very, you have always wanted to watch, and I hope it didn't disappoint. It did not. It was so good. At you, so one of the first things you ever showed me in wrestling, you were like, look at this sort of supercut of the best moments from this bad match. And I've wanted to watch it ever since, never gotten around to it until now, and just, God, it's so good. This was the first time I've watched it before, too. And here's the thing. It was a big moment. I remember watching the lead-up to this match as a kid. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go into a little bit of a backstory here. So Hulk Hogan spends some time in WCW, ends up leaving right before they close, um, comes to the WWE, uh, brings a new world order there, has a little bit of run, ends up winning the WWE title, um, has some great feuds with The Rock, uh, has a feud with Vince McMahon. Uh, he ends up leaving after a little while um, and doesn't come back until he's inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2005. Uh, and during that time, uh, people are really wanting him to have another match because they've forgotten how bad he is. Chanting <laughs> one more match, one more match. Um, at WrestleMania 21, the night after the Hall of Fame, he uh, he comes out and beats up uh, Muhammad Hassan and Davari, who their gimmick is was supposed to be that they were Muslim Americans who were upset about the way, the discrimination they faced since nine eleven. Pretty edgy gimmick for the WWE, but they ended up just turning them into terrorists. Um, oh man, ain't that just the way? Ain't that just how you get flanderized in the the WWE? Like so, Hogan. What's that? I was just gonna say. I like also that they tried to like take a very legitimate grievance and make it a thing that makes you a heel. Oh yes, yeah. The, one of their first feuds was with Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross, and Jim Ross famously yells at him, "This is America. You can love it or leave it." Oh my God. Uh, and that's what happens when you try to do a store a nine eleven storyline so soon after nine eleven. Yeah. Um, eventually Muhammad Hassan gets kicked off TV because they have him uh bring out some masked terrorists and choke out the Undertaker, and that episode aired the same day as the London bombings. Fuck. So they took him off TV after that. You um, know what though? That was not his fault. It was WWE's fault because yes. they, that episode was taped and they could have taken it out. That oh my god, yeah. Like but they you, were like, they were like, well, we've already sent it to the network. It would be too hard to replace that time. And I'm like, there has to be a way. Fill it with some extra like commercials or some shit. Yeah, whether like, you have to sprint down. To the TV station itself, like you're in Wayne's world, you get that off the air. But, anyway, Hogan beats them up at WrestleMania 21 in like a one-off thing. Shawn Michaels ends up having a feud with Hassan and Davari, and he's going to have a handicap match against them at Backlash that year, but they make him pick a partner, so he picks Hulk Hogan. So Shawn Michaels and Hogan end up teaming together. Here's the thing about Shawn Michaels and Hogan is that their careers kind of never overlapped. Uh, Michaels started off in the late 80s uh, 
and was a tag team and was an up-and-comer. So by the time Shawn Michaels started getting, you know, into his singles career, that's when Hogan leaves for WCW. Uh, Hogan comes back to the WWE in 2002 when Shawn Michaels is still out from his back injury. Shawn Michaels finally makes his full in-ring return just as the same time Hogan retires again. So they never have any matches together, never any tag team matches, so this is a really, truly first-of-its-kind type of event. And these two are still in a stage where they can put on some... They're not going to put on a great match, but they could put on something entertaining. Um, and the the... The stuff leading up to the feud is pretty good. I, I don't know if you watched the pre-match promo, but it is kind of fun to watch, especially when Shawn Michaels turns on him out of nowhere. Michaels hasn't played a heel in a long time. Um, so to see Shawn Michaels super kick Hogan out of nowhere was really... I remember as a kid freaking out. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, Here's the thing, though. I, some dream matches should stay dreams. Here's the thing, though. Hogan's ego is still so huge. So What they wanted to do was they wanted to have a series of matches, two or three, and they would split the wins and losses. Hogan is at a point in his career where he absolutely has no business winning a big match like this. Yes. Even though Shawn Michaels is pretty far along in his career, Shawn Michaels is still the active competitor Versus Hulk Hogan. Shawn Michaels absolutely should have beaten Hulk Hogan. If, if not in this match, they should have split the victories like they said they were going to. But Hogan decides, uh, my back's not feeling so good. My knees aren't feeling so good. I think I can really only do this one match. Uh-huh. Which is like Hogan's thing that he does. It's the same reason why Austin never wanted to work with him. Hogan and Austin have never had a match. Probably the biggest matchup that's never happened because Austin didn't trust him. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, and Michaels does some pretty good mic work and stuff. So Shawn Michaels is uh, is not happy going into this match, so he decides... Now, I'm stating this like it's a fact. Shawn Michaels has never come out and said, I purposely acted a fool during this match. In fact, he has said that they told him they wanted the Shawn Michaels of 1996, and he's like, well, this is how the Shawn Michaels of 1996 sort of sold stuff. I don't really buy that. I buy that he was kind of upset that Hogan kind of cheaped out on him. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, uh, obviously Hogan wants to win, and uh, that doesn't sit too well with Shawn. So I've seen the, like, the the montage of moments for this match. I've never watched the whole thing. And it did not occur to me that literally every single move Hogan hits, Michael's over... There is not one thing he sells like a normal person in this match. No, he oversells absolutely everything. And you know what? It's glorious. Like, every single chop that gets delivered sends him flying. When we're talking about selling, we're talking about, you know, how you make a move look like it affected you. When you're overselling, you're 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 literally you're overacting. And that's what happens here. Um 
uh, actually, uh, before we get into the match itself, when Shawn Michaels come out here, it was very brief, and I think they cut away on purpose. But when Hogan is coming out, Shawn Michaels starts miming like he's shoveling, like a burial. Oh. Because he knows Hogan's about to bury him. <laughs> um, weirdly, the crowd starts chanting, you screwed Brett, which is funny to me, because it's like, where and when are we? Like, Yeah, yeah, for real. The, what? Um, I, I do think part of this was Shawn Michaels is a part of this feud. He did they did a show in Montreal and he uh, he called out Bret Hart to come to the ring and they played his music and then he was like, Nah, I'm just kidding. Bret's not here. Oh. Um, so I think maybe that has something to do with it. Shawn as a heel kind of has to bring up screwing Bret Hart. Right, right. Um, but let's let's talk about some of uh, some of Shawn's best moves here. Um, uh, he he goes into the corner, and and he uh, or he 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 gets tack like a shoulder tackle from from Hogan, and he rolls and flips straight to the outside of the ring. Yeah, and like so, these are moves that any wrestler, you know, even if it's just a jobber, if you get hit by these, you you don't they don't affect you that badly. They're just sort of the standard moves in a match. I'll put it this way. For those of you that play Super Smash Brothers, make a lot of Smash Brothers analogies, it's like if one player has 999% damage on them and the other has zero, and they're just hitting you with basic attacks that are doing massive damage. Uh, yeah, that, that's how Sean's selling everything. Right. And so my favorite thing that he does is when he gets hit with something and he stands back up and he acts all dizzy and he falls back down <laughs> so yeah. good man at one point this doesn't even make physical like sense he is laying on the top rope and hogan kicks him in the gut and he flies up and lands crotch first on the top rope yes yes that rope work is amazing because he's obviously propelling himself upward so when hogan goes to kick him he just goes flying into the air it's so... Oh, man. He gets clotheslined over the top rope, and he, like, lands on his feet and stands up, and he does a somersault onto the... I mean, it's, like, stuff, like, I can't even describe. It's so goofy. Yeah, it's... Um, like, so goofy to the point that you clearly have to be actively putting in effort to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, It's uh, amazing. Coachman's on commentary. He says, I almost think Shawn Michaels has too much energy tonight. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine being the commentary in one of these matches? Like, what do you do when you realize this is happening? Hmm. I wonder what Hogan was thinking. I think he was getting pissed off, honestly. Probably. Uh, Because you can, at, towards the end of this match, we'll see, like, what I think were real words exchanged between the two. And here's the thing. Hogan finally kind of needed this. But then again, it didn't work because he keeps he, he kept doing it. So, um, um, And I just, I do love, like, Michaels here. We, we have this in the bad matches because it technically is a bad match. But it's also very good. 
Honestly, the only thing that makes it a bad match is Sean's selling. If Sean had sold like a normal person, this match actually probably would have been pretty well remembered as a good match. Yeah, yeah. Because it is decent. Like, there's a good story being told here. Um, and Hogan even uh, blades in the match and gets pretty damn bloody, too. He does. He gets extremely bloody. Well, you know, old old guys, like, just like, you know, they have, like, paper skin. Yeah. So, uh, and and then Hogan's always been a big bleeder, too. Um, uh, at one point, uh, Sean even puts Hogan in a sleeper hold, and so he starts bleeding all over a, a, uh, Sean's arm. Uh, eventually, uh, Sean is getting the, the upper hand, goes to the top rope for an elbow drop, but Hogan moves out of the way. Uh, eventually, uh, Michaels goes for another flying forearm, but knocks out the referee. Um, he uh, he puts Hogan in the sharpshooter, so we're really leaning into the Bret Hart shit here. Um, yeah. Uh, another referee comes in the ring as a uh, bloody Hogan is screaming in pain. Hogan's finally able to grab the rope. Um. Sean puts Hogan in another sharpshooter, but Hogan kicks him backwards into the ref. Sean's going to bring out a steel chair, and he's just beating the shit out of Hulk Hogan. Like, I will say this. Hogan bladed in this match, and he took an unprotected chair shot to the head. So, I mean, I'll give him some props for that. Yeah, I mean, he was—he might not have been willing to lose, but he was willing to at least try to make it look close. Yeah. Um— so Sean uh, eventually hits the elbow drop. He starts tuning up the band. He hits Sweet Chin Music and pins Hogan, but Hogan kicks out. And Sean even somehow oversells a kick out. Yeah. Yeah, no, because when he kicks out, Sean just goes flying off the top of him. Um, and then we have Hogan starts hulking up. He does the finger point, the punches, and the big boot, which has probably the biggest oversell of the night because Shawn Michaels gets kicked in the face, he falls to the ground, stands back up, flails around, and then he and he flips over and lays back down. <laughs> uh, and then Hogan follows up with that atomic leg drop and pins Shawn for the win. They shake oh hands after God. the match, but they do exchange some heated words. Um, yeah, like yeah. But the sh- the handshake itself looked really tense because. You could tell Hogan did not actually want to shake his hand. Like, it looked like it was outside of the the uh, acting there. Like, he was genuinely yeah. pissed off. Well, do you think... Uh, do you fault Sean at all for this match? No, not at all. I think Sean... I, I, I applaud him for his work here. Someone had to put Hogan in his place. Here's the thing. A year later, Hulk Hogan has another match, his last match ever for WWE at SummerSlam 2006 against Randy Orton. So Randy Orton is Hogan is in his 50s at this point. Hogan or Randy Orton's in his 20s and Hogan still beats Randy Orton. Ugh. And that to me I cannot wrap my head around why they why they would let Hulk Hogan beat Randy Orton. And I get like, like big Hogan's big and like People love him, so if he's going to show up, I guess he kind of gets his way. But, like, hey, Hulk Hogan, if you're out there listening to this, I know you're not. But if you are, 
one, don't say the N-word. Two, it's fake, bud. It's fake. But no other wrestler operates that way. Yeah. Like like Sting insisted on losing to Triple H. Uh, You know, Steve Austin lost to The Rock. Uh, You know... He's the only wrestler who thinks that he has to win at 50 years old. No one's going to think any less of you if you lose, Hulk. Yeah, we think less of you if you win. Yeah, like, and that is true. Like, at what point do, do does Hulk Hogan not realize that he's really hurting his reputation more by winning? I don't know. I think the guy's a little delusional. I would agree with that. So we're going to go to No Mercy 2007, Batista versus the Great Khali uh, in a Punjabi prison match. I had to include a Great Khali match on here. Cause, and this is the one that I feel like I could just shit on all day long. Um, it's so bad. Here's the thing about the Great Khali. Okay, so 2007 is the probably the worst year in WWE history for two reasons. One, it's the year that Chris Benoit killed his family, and killed himself. Two, the great Kali was wrestling. Um, now, that may sound bad for me to just compare the great Kali to that, but the great Kali may be the worst wrestler who's ever stepped into a WWE ring. <laughs> because the guy cannot work. He is too big. He is too big, and it is bad for his health to be in the ring. Vince loves big boys. But, like... He can't take any moves. He can't hardly perform any moves. But him big! And they had him debut and uh, squash The Undertaker and beat The Undertaker. And then they had him be the world champion. See, that pisses me off so much. Because a guy like Rey Mysterio that can actually wrestle, you know, gets so mistreated. and But just on the basis of big man... The great Kali gets all these opportunities. But when I say the guy can't wrestle, I mean he physically, like, like now he, like he's at a point in his life where he can barely walk anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's like medically not okay to do this. And, so yeah, so I'm not hating on the great Kali. In fact, I think it's sad that they, they thought it was okay to put him in a ring. Yeah. Um... This is the second ever Punjabi prison match. Even though it was created for the Great Kali, it's the first one to have him in it because the first one, he had some medical issues and could not compete in said match. Yeah, good Um, lord. I am going to look up the rules to the Punjabi prison match and try to explain what it is. I have a a decent grasp if you'd like me to try my You want to go for it? Okay, yeah, yeah, let's see if I can do it. Okay, remember the two-cell structure we discussed earlier. Same thing. This time, the inner cell is made out of bamboo and what they say is steel and reinforced bamboo with sharp things at the top to make it What is steel-reinforced bamboo? Hell if I know. Some bullshit. Um... And then the outer cell is not a cage this time. It is a genuine cell. It's just bigger than the inner cell. Also made out of, quote-unquote, steel-reinforced bamboo. 
and sharp thingies at the top that's supposed to make it Im- remember this this is important supposed to make it impossible to climb um there are then three or four doors on the inner cell leading to the outer one a wrestler can call for a door to be opened it will be opened for 60 seconds at which point, after it has been open for 60 seconds, it will close, it will be locked for the remainder of the match. It will not reopen. Um, the goal is to escape both of these cells. Um, or cages, I suppose. Uh, does that, does that sort of, um, yeah. sum it up well enough? It's the whole weird 60-second door thing. Because here's the thing. I feel like 60 seconds is a lot of time to walk through a door. It's an extremely large amount of time to walk through a door, and they have to try really hard to not walk through these doors. Yeah, you're telling me that at no point in this match was one wrestler down for 60 seconds? or Less than 60 seconds, because literally it, to, it takes... Five seconds to walk through a door. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it's just so dumb. Also, the the like way that the the cell is constructed or the cage is constructed, it totally looks like you could just like slip through these little bamboo squares. They're mm-hmm. they're pretty huge, honestly. They're massive. Um and maybe the great Kali couldn't, but I'm almost positive Batista could. It's also really hard to see what's going on in the match a lot. Yeah, it, weirdly, when looking through two layers of bamboo, it is difficult. Although, maybe that's good, because the less of this match I see is probably the better. Now, that is the truth. Um, so, one thing I like is that the Great Kali is just from India. Nowhere in particular, just somewhere in the country. Oh, and they try to give him this, like, Bane backstory of, like, he was raised in a prison that was just like this one. Um, oh, it's just so dumb. Um, yeah, no, there is real a real racial component to this whole match. Um, and it kind of comes to a head when they say that Earlier tonight, Kali was praying to evil Hindu gods. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. That is just... It's rough. It's bad. I like that we both put that... Uh, noted that uh, that line, because... Boy, is it bad. What? What? What does that even... I don't know enough about Hinduism to know if they have evil gods. But I'm gonna go ahead and say the WWE... Shouldn't have said that. Well, it's, uh, like, real people are Hindu, and so right. to, like, make make Hinduism, like, a heel character trait is, is, is odd. Yeah, no, it totally is. Um, so, really, there's not much great wrestling going on, because these two can't really do much. Um, Kali has a very limited move set. He, it, it's punches, chops, boots, and like kicks. Right, it is really the extent of it. I mean, he can't even really like pick people up. Um, 
And then every time we open the door, we just get one minute of them, like, slowly writhing around. Yeah, it's the most, like, convoluted, um, fabricated way to make sure they don't get out the door. And it's... I have to see it happen four times is the problem. Yeah, four minutes of that in this match. Um, they also have weird straps and, and ropes they can use on each other, and Kali starts choking Batista with a rope, and Cole says it's completely legal. But is murder legal? Mm. Yeah, I think that one's a no. Here's the thing about Kali. You would think such a big guy would have a big power move, but his finisher is literally he just squeezes your head. Yeah. Oh, it was so dumb. He... he, he he just, yeah. At one point, Batista tries to do a Batista bomb, but the only way they can possibly do it is if Kali is already, like, leveraged up because there's no way Batista could lift Kali. Yeah. But they can't even do it because it would just be too dangerous. Um, finally, Kali uh, uh, calls for that last door to be open, and Batista is crawling so slow. Bakali closes the door onto him before pulling him back in, and the final door is locked, so now we both have to climb out. I was really hoping we didn't have to see them climb two cells. Yeah, yeah, because this match is mostly climbing. Um, But, like, watching Batista Batista, when he's shutting the door on him is so stupid because the door doesn't look like it weighs anything. It doesn't look painful. It's just dumb. Yeah. And I guess that's why they have to say steel reinforced bamboo because I feel like regular bamboo would not hurt that much. But also, steel reinforced bamboo is not a thing. <laughs> um, they eventually both start climbing up the Punjabi prison, but Kali tosses Batista to the mat. Kali climbs over the first cell, and then he starts climbing the second one. And Batista gets up, climbs the first one, and jumps from one cell to the other. That was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um. And they start. Climbing to the other side, but Batista beats him first. So really, this just showed how fucking slow Kali was. Yeah, dude, and that's the thing that really bothers me, is that Kali's on the outside wall of the second cage when Batista starts climbing. Yeah. He could just let go, and he would win. That's literally all he had to do. Yeah. But thank God we didn't get Kali as a world champ again. Yeah, I mean the the in the condition the 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 final you know outcome was was for the best certainly. You know, want to know something crazy? They recently brought this match back a couple years ago. Oh my God! Kali wasn't in it, but he did show up to like run interference. Because they found, they're like, oh, we have another guy who's Indian. We can have him do this match. God. Like, and it just, was the first one any good? No. Because it's also confusing. It was Undertaker and Big Show. This is like if they just kept bringing the dogs back and just hoping mm-hmm. that this time they're going to do it. At least the third one wasn't between two huge dudes. Because I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. The hugeness is definitely a uh, a factor. But yeah, just um, 
again, too much reliance on gimmick to to warrant a good match. And why did they bring up the spikes on the top of the cell? Because those didn't come into play at all. No, not even a little bit. It honestly looked super easy to climb. Yeah. Easier than a regular cell. Absolutely. I mean, the thing was, like, basically shaped like a ladder. Yeah. Um, We're going to jump ahead a little bit to WrestleMania 27. We're going to have Bret Hart face Mr. McMahon. Because uh, we all want to see Bret get some comeuppance from the Montreal Screwjob because we know Bret has been just fucking grieving this loss 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, so Bret Hart returns to Raw for the very first time in 2011 uh, to make amends. He ends up hugging and shaking hands with Shawn Michaels, and they become friends again. He hugs Vince, but Bret ends up turning on him, or I'm, I'm sorry, Vince turns on Bret and kicks him in the gut. Um, and Bret wants to have a match with Vince, but Vince says no. Um, and then he accidentally gets run over by Natalia, who is his niece. Uh, Vince is like uses that opportunity to say, "Ha ha, you're a coward. You won't have a match with me because you're on crutches." And he's like, "Yes, I will. It's going to be a no holds barred match." And they sign a contract, and he's like, "This cast is fake." Oh man, the deep fakes. And that's the last time that this shit was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like a, so, you don't like an old man match. Here's the thing about this match. It's more than just an old man match. Because back in 2000, I think, Brett suffered a career-ending injury in a match with Goldberg. Uh, and he had to never get into... He was not allowed medically cleared for physical competition ever again. So they do that here. They try to bring him back. And here's the thing. He can't take a move. Yeah. You'll notice that he does not take a move at any point in this match because he medically cannot. And here's the thing. At one point during this return, he actually wins a title. What? Yes, a guy who cannot, like, receive physical punishment wins a title in a wrestling match. That is insane. Like, okay, also, uh, we should probably briefly explain for those who haven't listened to our Montreal Screwjob episode um, that this this feud runs deep because, what is it, 98? 97. Brett is supposed to drop the title to Shawn Michaels um, as he's leaving the company. But he doesn't want to lose in Montreal, in Canada. So they tell him that he's going to beat Shawn Michaels uh, and retain the title and just vacate it later. Well, they don't want him to take the title and drop it in a trash can, which is something that's happened before. So they decide to have Shawn Michaels reverse and put Bret Hart in the sharpshooter and ring the bell even though he hasn't tapped out. So this is a real event. This is not a storyline. This is something that really happened. Um, he spits on Vince McMahon on his way out, and ever since, or for a long time, he really held a grudge against him. Eventually came around, and now he's actually on pretty good terms with the company. So all this is in storyline to kind of be a cap on a feud that 
most of the fans watching this weren't alive to see. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Some dream matches should stay dreams. So they do their best to have a match where one of the people can't be hurt. So I guess with that in mind, they did pull it off somehow. Yeah. Basically the whole thing is Vince so Vince comes out with a mic and says Brett is in his ring and he deserves a WrestleMania size screwing. He says he bought some lumberjacks, which turn out to be the members of the Hart family, um, only three of which are actually wrestlers. You know, it's what's super weird to me is like whole time they they never mention Owen. Also, never mention Owen's wife. She's not there either. Yeah, I wonder why. Because she hates the company. No. There is a guy with a big Owen for Hall of Fame sign. In the background. Oh my god. Uh, uh, Brett's other bro- brother, uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, you talking Bruce? You talking Bruce? Bruce Hart. You talking yeah, Bruce Hart? Br- the man, Bru- How'd you forget Bruce, dude? He is the most important heart. He is literally the most forgettable heart. <laughs> nah, man, I'm a Bruce head. Bruce takes off his shirt, reveals a referee shirt underneath, and Brett gets on the mic and reveals that this was all a double cross and they are actually on his side. And so they all just start beating him up. They all just take turns beating up Vince McMahon. That's all this is. And also, okay, that's so dumb in story even because Vince really should have seen this one coming. Yeah. Like... He already did the whole fake get injured by his niece, who was one of the people he brought out there. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I didn't watch the whole storyline, so maybe there's something I'm missing, but... No, I think it's just stupid. (laughs) I do have to mention one thing that's really funny. They're on the outside, and Bruce starts doing a slow count, like he's he's slowly counting so that they don't get counted out. But there are no count-outs in this match anyway. Oh, my God. Hey, Bruce just wants to be a part of something, okay? Dude, I think I think Bruce just well. Bruce is from a time where you know, like it, it was a DQ if you like threw somebody over the top rope, and so like <gasps> they, they didn't like they didn't have no holds barred in matches when Bruce was around. Yeah, that's true. I wonder how Bruce feels knowing that like Jim Neidhart, which is like who married into the family, is a more recognizable heart than he is. <laughs> Poor Bruce. Um, Brett starts working on the leg, and I keep thinking, oh, he's going to put him in the sharpshooter and end this once and for all. But no, we just have to. It's so painfully obvious that they're trying to have a back and forth match because Vince eventually does get the upper hand by pulling out a crowbar and, like, scaring everyone. Because one dude with a crowbar is apparently stronger than eight other people. Yeah, and oh my god, this crowbar is so stupid. Because it becomes, obviously it gets taken away from Vince, um, and it sort of just becomes, like, that's the one thing that Brett can do, is hit Vince with a crowbar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Brett just starts 
beating him up with a crowbar, beating him up with a chair. He sits in the chair and watches Vince try to stand up. My favorite part of any match, you know, uh, the sit-in-a-chair match. That's uh, that's my favorite variant. And then he finally puts the sharpshooter in, and Vince taps immediately, and thank God that match is over. Yeah, oh my God. And I thought this was a good idea? I get, like, if you want to beat up on Vince McMahon to end this story. But you didn't have to make it last that long. Um... And it didn't have to be a WrestleMania match. Yeah, at WrestleMania. That is just insane. Which you gotta think, WrestleMania matches have a lot of buildup. So we had to watch this shit on TV every week for like a couple months. Oh my god. Uh, Yeah, you can't just beat up on a guy and it be a uh, wrestling match. Weirdly. Not how that works. And it's also funny that Vince is the guy who's in way better shape than Brett. Yeah. Dude, okay, so you know how with Montreal Screwjob, which we talk about this in our Montreal Screwjob episode, there's some conspiracy thought out there that the whole thing was a work the whole time, that it was all secretly planned. What if that was true and, like, this is your conclusion to that? This is the payoff after all those years— yeah, they have been they they have been like, yep, at WrestleMania 27, we're gonna do this. God, that's how you know it's not a work because this was some bullshit. <laughs> um, so we're gonna go to our final match. This one's actually a pretty recent one. This one happened just back in July, um, at the Super Showdown 2019, WWE's third show in Saudi Arabia. Because they keep fucking going back there, even though it's just not a great idea. Yeah, I don't know what, why, like, and they... they always have trash matches with old guys in it. Yeah, man. Um, and so, again, and I'm, this is going to be the last time I say this, some dream matches need to stay dreams. Yeah, Goldberg and Undertaker, they're two guys who've never wrestled each other. But there comes a point where you pass the point of being able to do the match. And I think once both guys are 50 and and half-retired is way past that point. But you see, Peyton, that's why I am proposing that we introduce a new sort of— because you have, like, the heavyweight champion, right? So I think we need a new belt, a new title, the AARP Championship. Good lord. <laughs> But in the, like, you you only lose it when you, like, break a hip or something. <laughs> Dear God. And see, so Undertaker has been one of the best wrestlers, and even way past when Undertaker should have been performing great matches, he was still putting on great matches. But somewhere there was a big shift, and it was around the time I think he did that storyline with Kane. Yeah, he just started like it was like okay, it's time to time for Undertaker to go. In fact, after this match, somebody posted on Instagram. They were like, "WWE, please let Undertaker just retire. It's sad seeing him do do." They decide for whatever reason that it's a good idea to put Undertaker and Goldberg together. So Undertaker is basically has like one match a year. Goldberg did like a came back from retirement to have a mini feud with Brock Lesnar. It was pretty well received. 
But they basically, anytime these guys have matches, they keep it pretty short and simple. They do their big moves, and they get out of there. This one, I think they probably went on a little too long. And these two, it's a big gamble to put two guys who've never worked together in the ring together when they're this old. Right. Because you have no frame of reference for, like, this person's style or how they operate, really. It was, uh, yeah, it was a big gamble, and I would say that it, uh, it was a pretty big bust. They do, uh, they do this big, there's a big to-do with their entrances. They have these big, long entrances. The announcers are really selling it. They're talking about how, you know, under, they were both, you know, kind of leading their brands during the Monday Night Wars. Undertaker was on Raw. Goldberg was on Nitro. Goldberg being pretty much one of the biggest, um... WCW original products, like, you know, a, a homegrown WCW talent. Right. Uh, and he had, he had a short, pretty pretty not great WWE career in 2002, or 2003 to 2004. And at that time, Undertaker was on SmackDown, Goldberg was on Raw, so they, they never crossed paths. They decided to do it here, and, oof, man, this one was sad. Yeah, yeah, this one more so than the others. Like, okay, so every other match we've done, there's some, uh, there's a reason why it's so bad outside of just, these guys are old. And this one's just straight up, these guys are old. They just don't click together. No. Like, they just, they, they don't. don't. Uh, not even a little bit. And it's just, uh, boring bad it's and it's honestly like a pretty short match but it feels really long oh yeah i mean i said they went too long and they went nine and a half minutes which is not that long but it's too long for these guys absolutely absolutely it is um it looked pretty promising from the start uh because they get face to face goldberg does the rest in peace taunt and then Goldberg hits a spear on Taker, and then he hits another one for a two count. So I thought we were gonna—I thought what, this was what we were gonna do. We were gonna hit the big, the big moves and kind of get out of there. Right. Um, Taker ends up sitting up. He tries for a choke slam. Goldberg fights him off into some kind of knee bar. Here's where the match kind of takes a turn for the worse. Uh, is where Goldberg charges at Taker in the corner, but Taker moves out of the way, and Goldberg hits the ring post and busts himself open. And here I'm thinking, wait, I thought we didn't do blood in WWE anymore. I thought we didn't blade. So I went to look it up to find out if Goldberg bladed, and what I found was that Goldberg actually just really did hit the ring post really hard and knocked himself out. Oh, my God. And, act- and so he's actually bleeding. That So... That's part of why this match is so bad, because Goldberg knocked himself out, and he has now announced that he cannot wrestle ever again because of this. Good lord, yeah, he probably gave himself a concussion, at the very least. Probably, yeah. So, you notice he kind of takes a little while to get up, and then from there on out, the match just, whew, it, it stinks. But, yeah, so, the blood there is real. He, he really did just fuck himself up. Oh my god, yeah, Vince... They're too old. Stop it. Um, uh, Taker hits his big moves, old school choke slam, and then he hits a tombstone pile driver and like drops Goldberg on his head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Goldberg the head that manage- has just been concussed at the ring post. Goldberg manages to kick out at two. Um, 
eventually Goldberg hits another spear. And then he goes for his finisher, the jackhammer, which is normally just like a like a delayed suplex into a power slam, but he ends up dropping Undertaker on his head. Oh my god. Yeah. Um that that was a big botch there. Uh it was it was bad. And then it gets worse when Goldberg tries to do a tombstone, and I guess they're trying to do that thing where Taker reverses it and he flips over and does a tombstone, but they both just kind of collapse on top of each other. Yeah. <laughs> then Taker hits a choke slam that looks so weak because he barely is able to pick Goldberg up. And then he pins him and he wins, and he looks pissed after the match. He does. He absolutely does. Um, I mean, this match could have ended either one of their careers. It absolutely I mean, it did in Goldberg's career. Uh, yeah, man. And that's got to be one of those things where... Because it, it seems like he wasn't really chomping at the bit to do this. It seems like the WWE roped him in. You talking about Undertaker or Goldberg? Undertaker. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, here's my thing, though. Here's my theory. If we just bury him alive again... He can come back as, uh, you know, uh, he, he can refresh in the grave like he did the last time and come back as a he's new kinda like, character. I'm, he's kind of like Rachel Ghoul. He's going into the Lazarus pit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but goddamn, like, it's, it's, it's tarnishing, I think, their legacies when they do stuff like this. I absolutely agree. Because Undertaker already had a match with Roman Reigns where at the end of the match he took off his hat and his gloves and his coat. He went and hugged his wife and he went to the back and everyone thought he was retiring. And then he keeps coming back for these bad matches. And who are these matches, like, targeted at, too? You know, like, I feel like if you watched wrestling when Undertaker was, like, at his, in his prime, you probably, unless you're just an aficionado, you probably don't really watch WWE now. Yeah. Um and the kids that are watching now are too young to remember either of these guys. And it's like this, yeah, this was a dream match, and it could have happened in like 2004, but it didn't. And so now we shouldn't try to force it to happen. It's why we're not going to have a Hogan versus Austin or a Rock versus Shawn Michaels because it's just it's too late. It's too late to have those matches. Absolutely. You know, was- Shia LaBeouf once said. Don't let your dreams stay dreams. No, that is wrong, Shia. Some dreams are never meant to happen. And on that note, I think uh, it's time to wrap up this show. What do you think was the best and worst match? Best match, gotta be Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan. Worst match is honestly really hard, but I think it might be this last one. It might be Undertaker Goldberg. Yeah, I, I, I could see that, because it's the only match that, like, made me sad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the one that does the most psychological damage to you. Yeah, fair enough. I think you're right on the money with that one. And physical damage to Goldberg. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, we want to thank you guys so much for listening in this week. Listening in for the past year, uh, keep us boosted Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whichever platform you find your podcast and smash that follow button on Twitter. We're found at at Turnbuckle Train. 
And for our next episode, we'll be talking about the Ready to Rumble movie, which was kind of the subject of the David Arquette winning the WCW world title. So we're going to see if that movie was really worth having an actor be world champion. Thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice. I did it for the love. Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. A Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.